Welcome to the American Geographical Society podcast. I'm Katherine Kahn. This is episode four, Lessons from the Past, Epidemics in the Americas. Today we have joining us Dr. George Lovell, who's a professor of geography at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada, and a visiting professor in Latin American history at the Universidad Pablo de Olvide in Seville, Spain. George is going to discuss his research of historical epidemics in Colombian era Latin America. As we're going through this pandemic together, we wanted to take a look at lessons from history. These will help us contextualize our experiences during COVID-19. George's research centers on colonial experiences in Latin America, specifically indigenous peoples during the time of Columbus. George was one of the first to draw a connection between old world diseases and their devastating effects on indigenous populations in the Americas. Welcome, George. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, my pleasure, Katie. Full steam ahead. That's great. So first, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your research. Can you tell us about the theory of disease and depopulation in the Colombian era Americas? Uh, certainly. Uh, so when these two worlds, the old and the new, came together with catastrophic consequences uh, because of the introduction inadvertent for the most part uh, old world diseases to the new world against which immunologically defenseless inhabitants had basically no chance. It's a terrible story. It's horribly sad and I think it's something that you know we talk a lot about the colonial impacts that have occurred in Latin America but people don't even come to think often of the tremendous demographic impacts that colonialization had at the onset. So in order to kind of uncover all these questions and, and answer all your questions, you've spent a significant amount of time in various archives around the world piecing together a history of disease. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences with archival research and the value of looking to these preserved documents to piece together important stories such as this? Absolutely. Um, for my master's uh, thesis on uh, 16th century uh, depopulation in the Mixtec Alta in Oaxaca in, in Mexico. I didn't do too much archival work. Uh, uh, it was mostly uh, sifting through the, the wonderful work of uh, Sherburn Cook and, and Woodrow Bohr in particular. But I did while there uh, in uh, Oaxaca, uh, way back 1974, I, I did sort of uh, have my first sort of archival uh, forays, uh, so to speak. But where the archival uh, experience and uh, years, decades now, uh, of working in archives really came to the fore is when I moved south from Mexico to Guatemala uh, for my doctoral work. Mexico had a, a developed historiography, uh, whereas uh, Guatemala and the rest of the uh, Central American countries uh, didn't. So. Basically, what that meant was uh, asking the basic question, uh, Cook, Bora, the rest of the Berkeley School, uh, uh, with their studies of central Mexico, they have uh, ascertained that there was a catastrophic collapse in the 16th century. Did a similar uh, experience occur amongst Maya peoples in, in Guatemala? And the answer, short answer to, to that is uh, emphatically yes. So how do you go about proving that using research from the archives? Obviously, I started in Guatemala. 
but it soon became aware, especially for the early period, for the 16th century, it turned out that a lot of the documentation for Guatemala had, for whatever reason, uh, neglect, uh, earthquake, fire, damage, theft. Uh, a lot of the documents um, uh, that I needed to consult weren't actually in Guatemala, uh, thanks to the judicious record keeping of Imperial Spain. I could go to the big archive of the Indies in Seville, Spain, and hope to find uh, copies that had been sent to uh, Spain in the 16th century uh, that would help me fill the gaps that were quite apart. And I can share with the listeners um, a, a little uh, epiphany that I had there working in the archives, I came across this absolutely incredible document written in 1582 uh, by a very learned man. He was a dean, um, the ecclesiastical administrator of the cathedral of uh, Guatemala. He had been asked by the king to uh, account for how the king's revenues were decreasing so significantly uh, in the course of the 16th century. The sort of um, royal accounts uh, were, were diminishing by century's end. Uh, why was this? So basically, uh, a man called Pedro de Lievano, he writes uh, to the king, to the Council of the Indies, and he's in Guatemala. And I'll just read out for your listeners this uh, Spanish translation from the document from which I got great inspiration so there I am, uh, working away in the archive of the Indies, and then I read this documentation in which the Dean of the Cathedral of Guatemala, Pedro de Levano, in 1582, he writes to the king as follows. What causes the Indians to die and to diminish in number are secret judgments of God beyond the reach of man. So there's, uh, in one breath, like a good uh, man of the cloth, he's attributing um, native depopulation to some kind of divine intervention, some kind of uh, uh, judgment from above for, you know, being heathens. Uh, but a very educated man, uh, what he then does in the next sentence, here's what he says. But what this witness has observed during the time he has spent in these parts is that from Mexico have come three or four great bouts of pestilence on account of which the country here has been greatly depopulated. In uh, basically two sentences, the, the words secret judgments of God the divine intervention, we don't know what's causing them to uh, die in diminishing number. There's secret judgments of God beyond the reach of it. And then in the next breath, because he's very well educated, he gives you an empirical observation. Uh, obviously, if you're going to argue for um, the disease factor as opposed to, and this is certainly not negating, exploitation, uh, brutality, wars of conquest, causing all sorts of casualties. But if you're going to attribute to the disease factor, um, the, the principal cause of uh, loss of life, then obviously uh, you have to comb those archives 
uh, looking for evidence like I've just read out, reports of disease outbreaks, sometimes descriptions, uh, sometimes uh, very uh, astute uh, parish priests let me know how many people lived before an epidemic, how many died during it, and, and how many survivors were left. It's almost like finding a needle in the haystack, sifting through well, a document yeah. upon document, and then finally yeah, no, when you one, get that. The, the one I just read you out uh, was, that was one of those one, that was a little eureka moment, you know. I, a I, morsel I, of gold. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks, George. That's a really interesting perspective that I think a lot of our listeners probably, you know, have no idea how to do research in a library or what it feels like that experience. So thanks for kind of a look into that world. So I want to kind of focus on your background as a geographer. Why do you think it's important for geographers to be doing historical research on epidemics? In other words, is why is it so important to think spatially about disease and its impacts? Well, uh, I think the, 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 the easiest, uh, um, most pertinent, uh, the best way to, to illustrate that is um, uh, once again to in invoke the, the great Carl Sauer. Uh, um, origins and dispersions and basically that's what's emphatically geographical about looking at um, uh, diseases and disease impacts in history and in, indeed uh, resonating all the way to COVID-19. So by analyzing space your research uncovered a lot of regional differences in the impact of various diseases Fast forwarding to today, COVID-19 is ravaging different parts of the world in very different ways, depending on where you are. Can you explain the similarities you see between the diseases of the past and the pandemic we face today in terms of regional differences? Yes, uh, very good point. Um, uh, it's very clear, we're still not uh, too sure um, uh, why, but it's uh, very, very apparent. Um, has been since, say, the first month or two of the, the COVID-19 outbreak. It's uh, very clear, not only are there differences in uh, impacts and fatalities, obviously, from one country to another, the spatial factor is uh, manifest within a country because some parts of a country suffer more seriously um, than others. So if you take the country of origin, China, for instance, we know that Wuhan province, where the disease began, uh, was uh, considerably uh, affected, but other parts of China weren't. And when the disease spread out of China, um, uh, origins and dispersals again, and reached, let's just use poor Italy as a good uh, example, the Italian uh, uh, experience, the Italian record is very uh, much one of uh, regional differentiation. The north, Bergamo, uh, Bologna, uh, the north of Italy, I'm not for a moment suggesting that other parts of Italy haven't been affected, they have, but the incidence and impact is uh, much more regionally specific uh, north of Italy than, than elsewhere. And uh, basically, that's also one of the, uh, the great uh, parallels, if you like. If you look at the historical incidence of uh, New World after the introduction of diseases in the late 15th century, uh, as a result of the Columbus landfall, there were 
marked regional differentiations uh, in the impact of uh, the old world diseases. I'll just very, very quickly go through a handful of scenarios. The worst case scenario was where Columbus um, first landed, the island of Española, a near extinction of the native population. We can talk about uh, how many people we think were involved, or I can mention them now. Cook and Bora think there were as many as 8 million people in Española. Other people are much, much lower. Some people just in the scores of thousands, 60,000. The arithmetic, the mathematics, Katie, are really, uh, in this case, uh, hypothetical. It doesn't matter what figure you conjure up for the contact population. Within a generation, they were all gone. Whether it was 60,000 or 8 million, they were all dead. Okay? Now, what's very important, and this is where the regional variation, because there was greater numbers to begin with. It wasn't a question of population, precipitous decline and then disappearance. After three centuries, basically, uh, after um, uh, 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 three or four generations, after about a century, the indigenous peoples in Mexico, particularly in the central parts of Mexico, they began to adapt biologically to this uh, presence that had hitherto been unknown amongst them. So that's when you get the beginning of uh, uh, immunity developing to these diseases. The difference between an epidemic and something that is endemic. So hitherto, no contact with the old world, the new world. The contagions that come in were epidemic or in, um, in many cases pandemic. And if you look at the Greek root of the word epidemic, it comes from uh, the, the Greek word epidemos, which basically means coming from the outside or visiting people. So a disease that is epidemic comes, works its devastation, and eventually after, in the case of Central America, uh, Central uh, Mexico, also in Central America too, as we'll see in a minute, in the case uh, Española, there was no recovery. There was no way that the population ever developed immunities. They were all eradicated. That didn't happen in central Mexico. And what happened was that the epidemic disease after two, three, uh, four generations, within a hundred years, that became endemic. And again, if you go to the Greek root of the word, endemos means literally in people, part of people, of the people. So there's a difference. I think it's so interesting to look at language like this and language has certainly played a part in how we're understanding COVID-19 right now. What you had said in the beginning um, when we first started talking about the outbreak in Italy, I was seeing some headlines that kind of harkened back to what you were talking about in Hispaniola, that entire generations in some towns seem to have been wiped out. That was a quote from some nurses on the front line saying we're losing a generation here. Um, so it's yeah. really shocking to see that. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. I forgot about that. I remember I was actually still in Spain. I didn't uh, uh, leave until uh, 
the fateful Ides of March, uh, March the 15th. So I remember that report, Spain really hit the report from Italy. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, uh, a generation up in the north and uh, unfortunately a lot of the older people uh, uh, in particular. What other meaningful parallels are you seeing between the epidemics and Colombian era Americas and today's COVID-19? What we now call community transmission, right, which is to say the uh, origins and dispersals again. Uh, communities being contaminated with this disease that began in China without any Chinese person, you know, being on the premises, uh, obviously. What's absolutely uh, key, not just in COVID-19, but absolutely the case in the 16th century, is that the famous words of Murdo MacLeod, the contagions, the epidemics, he calls them the shock troops of the conquest. They went ahead of the Spaniards before the Spanish military invasions. So we have a testimony, a wonderful testimony that I can read you a little bit out from Guatemala that's recorded as a, occurring between 1519 and 1523. Uh, a horrific outbreak of, uh, of disease. Pedro de Alvarado and the conquistadores, uh, Hernán Cortés, sent from Mexico to carry out the conquest of Guatemala, they didn't arrive until 1524 to Guatemala. So basically, the diseases had preceded them by three, four years, and it caused a great, great uh, horrific devastation. Absolutely, but, acted as a biological weapon of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. So but let me just read you a very quick account from a Maya perspective of what it was like to suffer this unforeseen um, disease. And so the Cachiquel, uh, one of the 20 odd groups to this day in, in Guatemala, they record this disease as follows. It happened um, that people first became ill of a cough. They suffered from nosebleeds and illness of the bladder. It was truly terrible, the number of dead there were in that period. Uh, little by little, heavy shadows and black night enveloped our fathers and grandfathers and us also, oh my sons. It was in truth terrible the number of dead among the people. The people could not in any way control the sickness. Great was the stench of the dead. After our fathers and grandfathers succumbed, half of the people fled to the fields. The dogs and the vultures devoured the bodies. The mortality was terrible. Your grandfathers died, and with them died the son of the king and his brothers and kinsmen too. So it was that we became orphans, oh my sons. So we became when we were young. All of us were thus. We were born to die. Another moving excerpt from the archives. Thanks, George. So George, I want to finish up and ask you. As a Columbian age scholar, many point to Columbus's arrival in the Americas as the beginning of globalization. So now we're seeing the results of our globalized world in the form of a pandemic. The responses of governments around the world has led to border closings, travel suspensions, and trade routes shutting down. Do you think COVID-19 signals the end of globalization? Hmm. Um, I anticipated this question. Let me answer it by saying, I think there would be a, a consensus if you looked at the other end of the, um, the timeline that 
the arrival of Columbus on American shores marks the beginning of globalization. However you care to define it, obviously, it's uh, very different now in terms of the, the neoliberal economic model of, um, of uh, recent decades. So we are well and truly globalized, but I would say very importantly, we have been well and truly globalized, certainly epidemiologically speaking, uh, uh, since the arrival of Columbus and other people would argue uh, socially, culturally, politically, and above all, economically. Does the outbreak of COVID-19, uh, uh, origins and dispersals, the etiology of the disease and the reactions uh, of individual countries on how to contain it, will that, will that signal the end of globalization? I don't think so. Our lives are so entangled, intertwined at the moment. I think what it will do is uh, force to conduct uh, human affairs differently post-COVID-19 than hitherto. Always good to end on a silver lining, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, George, for being with us today and giving us some insight into the past and history of epidemiology here in the Americas. There are so many important lessons for us to keep in mind as we, together as a global society, face the pandemic in front of us. And I think often it's time to, it's best to learn those lessons by looking to the past. So thanks so much. My pleasure, Katie.